Well, good morning again, Living Hope. When's the last time you watched a sermon begin with the question, do you want to catch a monkey? <laughs> I mean, come on. What else can you get here? Um, on behalf of the staff, uh, thank you so much. We are truly blessed. I'm blessed with that staff. I'm blessed with my boards. Um, and we are uniquely blessed with this church. You really are a unique and wonderful group of people. Um, we are truly thankful to be a part of Living Hope Church and what God has blessed us to be able to do here. So thank you very much. Amen? Amen. Amen. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Friends, if you'd open your Bibles with me, please. We're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning, beginning in Philippians chapter 3. You may also want to put a finger in Matthew chapter 16, but Philippians chapter 3. As you open your Bibles there, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. God, what a beautiful time of worship this morning. And it's not because we are talented or we are great. It's because you are great. It's because the Spirit of the Lord is here. It's because you, Father, desire to be at work in the lives of your children. You are glorified in the praises of your people. We recognize this morning that you are all in all. You are King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, we continue in that atmosphere of adoration and worship and exaltation as we open your word. Father, fill it with your voice and your wisdom. Teach us, Father, what you want us to hear today in your word and how, Father, you want us to live as your children. We ask all of these things in your magnificent name. Amen. Amen. Friends, loving self-sacrifice is so vital to the life of the follower of Jesus that history's most dramatic example of it is at the center of our faith. Loving self-sacrifice is so central to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. The most dramatic example of that is at the center of our faith. When the life of Jesus Christ is described to us inside of the Gospels, it begins with his birth as a human baby to Mary and Joseph, simple, humble, probably very poor people in worldly terms. Jesus born in a stable, a, a room where, where animals live. The first witnesses to the birth of Jesus Christ are shepherds, people who are at the lowest rung of the social ladder. That's the physical description of the coming of Jesus Christ into this world to save his people from their sins. That's the physical description. But there's another description in Scripture about what it meant for Jesus to come to this world, what he gave up in order to save his people from their sins. That description comes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. The apostle tells us this, who, speaking of Christ, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sacrificed for us. As stunning as the language is, Jesus gave up things for us. 
just to be born among us. Jesus then sacrifices himself upon the cross for us. These acts of love on our behalf are a stunning and sometimes overwhelming part of God's majestic and grand plan to bring everything to himself. And because of that example, the path that we learn to walk on as we grow in Christ is this path of self-sacrifice. Now, we're not always drawn to the topic of sacrifice. The values and priorities of the world around us, the air that we breathe, are in fact just the opposite of the Christian value of sacrifice in the life of Jesus Christ. The natural tendency of our sinful and broken hearts is in the opposite direction from the topic of sacrifice. So as the people of God, what role does the value of sacrifice now play inside of our lives? In our study of Thrive, we're going to describe sacrifice like this. An act of love that releases what I hold tightly so I can grab hold of Christ. It's an act of love, and it has to do with what I release because of what I can take hold of in relationship with Jesus Christ. A sacrifice can be and it should be an act of love. That means, friends, and hold on to this phrase through this sermon this morning, sacrifice is an act of priority. Not just a mental list of priorities, it is an act of priority. Is someone else and their well-being enough of a priority to me that I am willing to actually sacrifice for them. Loving self-sacrifice is God-honoring. It turns out that it's good for my neighbor, good for my friends, good for my family. It's good for my church. It's good for my community. So as we talk about sacrifice, we're going to talk about it in this two-step movement. Surrender and devotion. So surrender, what we let go of. This is the step where we learn how to let go, what we need to let go of, what we need to hold loosely in our hands instead of tightly, to open our hands of ownership and control of things. So many of our natural habits, our natural habits are of self-centeredness and of control, will need to be confronted as we deal with sacrifice and surrender in order to follow the example of Jesus Christ. So surrender, and then there is devotion. Devotion is the step where we learn how to take hold of Jesus Christ. We have to let go of one thing in order to take hold of another. And part of the beauty of this moment, the power of this Faith skill, the power of these practices, is that because I belong to Jesus Christ, I can let go of the things in this world that I hold on to so tightly so that instead I can cling to Christ. I need to be able to learn how to live like Christ will be able to manage the universe better than I can. Now, here's a shocker. I'm just going to lay this on the table. You guys decide what to do with it. Christ can handle the election better than I can, right? Christ can even manage my life better than I can. What do I need to open my hand of? What do I need to hold loosely so that I can cling to Jesus Christ more closely? 
Philippians chapter 3 is the passage we're going to pay attention to this morning. The book of Philippians is incredible. The Apostle Paul is writing from jail. And if you read through this short and wonderful book, you're going to read the word rejoice over and over. He uses that word more in this book than he does in any other book in the New Testament that he writes. So it is stunning that a man who's writing from prison talks to us about what it means to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Paul clearly has a hold of something that I want to get a hold of if he can rejoice even in prison. Paul is writing to a group of believers in the city of Philippi that he knows well and that he loves. He is encouraging them to rejoice in all circumstances, to follow the example of Jesus Christ in humility, and to watch out for false teachers who have come to ruin the church. One of those group of false teachers are the legalists in his day, the Pharisees teaching that Christians needed to follow a certain set of laws in order to be saved. Do this, do this, do this, do this, and only if you do that well enough and often enough, then you can be right with God. Now, Paul profoundly disagrees with that. Paul has taught us in Ephesians chapter 2 that salvation is by grace through faith, not of our works, lest any of us should boast. Now, this group of legalists, they are the Jewish Pharisees. Paul used to be one of them. But he gave all of that up for the sake of Christ. That group of people, their teaching, and Paul's relationship to the sect of the Pharisees is the context for our passage of Scripture this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, Paul says this, Look out for the dogs. Paul is like this. Every now and then he just calls false teachers dogs. So if every now and then you hear me call false teachers dogs, just think it's, it's biblical. <laughs> look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, the things that we can do with our bodies, with our wills, with our capacities. We put our confidence in Jesus, not our flesh. Verse 4, he says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as zeal, persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. This group of people come to you telling you that you need to lead a certain kind of life, a certain kind of perfected sort of lifestyle in order to be saved. And Paul says, you know what? I was better than all of them. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. According to the law, I was blameless. Paul in that part of the passage is referring to what in the Jewish culture was considered to be the pinnacle of academic and social achievement. It took a lot of study, it took a lot of work to become a Pharisee, a lot of memorizing, a lot of work for decades in your life to reach the status of Pharisee, the status that Paul had. And not only had Paul achieved all of that, 
Paul had risen to the top of their ranks and, on, and was on his way higher and higher and higher. So listen, this is important. Before Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ, he followed the path of success and influence in his circles, and he was on his way to significant social influence. He was going to, as we might say, have it all. He says, I was better than all of the rest of them. He even says that he was so zealous for that sect, for that way of life, he was such an activist for it that he even traveled around persecuting the early church. In another place in Acts chapter 22, when Paul is giving a defense of himself, he says this, he says, I persecuted the way, speaking of the Christian faith, I persecuted the way unto death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. He was so zealous for his work, he went out there trying to destroy those that he thought were his enemies. So friends, the circle of people where he was finding influence and purpose, this was a group of people who had power. They would be able to promote him, protect him, and give him a life of relative ease and notoriety. He was even willing to imprison and kill anyone who opposed his sect. That's what Paul tells us there. That's what's going on. But verse 7 says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I counted everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I used to make people suffer because of their faith. I am now willing to suffer for it even to death. And by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. But whatever gain I had, and we just described a life wherein Paul had every gain possible. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the overwhelming greater thing of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul did not let go of nothing. He didn't let go of something that was not working for him. He didn't let go of something that in the end was really not going to be of much value anyway. He did not turn his back on a future that had no real promise. Friends, notice this about sacrifice. If I am let go of something that is of no real value to me anyway, it probably can't be called sacrifice. 
It is sacrifice if it has value, if it has a certain kind of promise in this world, at least a certain kind of value as far as this world is concerned. So Paul shows us that he lets go of something that is full of worldly value for something that he has learned is full of eternal value. And listen to that language that we just read. It is almost too much to take in at once. He says, I do it for the sake of Christ, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And on and on that overwhelming language goes. He says, I am now even willing to suffer whatever loss, even to the point of death. And we know that's exactly what happens to Paul so that I might gain the resurrection of Jesus Christ. None of those Pharisees are going to do that. I will do that now for the sake of Jesus Christ. So Paul surrendered. He changed the entire course of his life for the sake of following Jesus Christ. Paul, the man, does not disappear. A man of intelligence, a man of drive, a man of activism, a man of action, that doesn't go away. What goes away is the praise and status that this world could possibly give him. Does that make sense? That's what fades into obscurity. Not Paul as a person, but worldly praise, worldly gain. That's what Paul says, I'm just, I'm just going to let it all go. It's just not worth anything anymore. We're faced with some questions this morning. What am I holding on to for all the wrong reasons? What am I holding on to for all the wrong reasons? Oftentimes, these are things inside of my daily life, my acts of priority through the course of my life, that just because of how they're structured, how much time they take, how much of my emotional energy and my finances and all of that they take that just interfere with my attachment to Jesus Christ? What am I holding on to for all the wrong reasons? Now, from one perspective, there may be nothing wrong with them, but I'm just clinging to them instead of holding them loosely. In fact, if you ask the right people, they may be great things that will get you into all of the right places with all of the right people. So we're forced to ask questions like, whose approval am I seeking in this life? Have I found myself in circumstances where I am willing to hide my devotion to Jesus Christ in order to be accepted by the right kinds of people? If I have an answer to that question, that's something that I'm hanging on to for all the wrong reasons. Where are the constant distractions that upend my emotions and my time for the sins that I keep in secret that I need to let go? Every one of us has to answer this kind of question. What am I holding on to for all the wrong reasons? And then notice this about what Paul says. It's a truth we don't think about very often. Paul mentions it in his context, but it has truth in our context as well. The wrong things held too tightly lead to the persecution of our faith, even my own faith. This kind of thing happens more often than you may know. 
Christians who don't know quite what to do with their priorities, with their life, with their values, the people that they're seeking attention from. Christians seeking acceptance from a culture that wants to diminish the Christian faith end up doing this kind of thing, okay? I'm going to be on record saying this. Christians who are seeking acceptance from a culture that wants to diminish the Christian faith will end up persecuting their own faith. It happens more often than you know. History shows us it happens over and over and over. If I wanted them to accept me and they have a low view of the Christian faith, what am I going to do? What is my active priority going to be now? Paul's attachment to his social ladder climbing led to his persecution of Christians. I was so zealous for my own way of life, I killed Christians and I put them in jail. If we hold to destructive values or habits, they will end up corroding our devotion to Jesus Christ. It's just the way the human heart works. Another passage of Scripture that describes someone who made a very similar decision to the Apostle Paul's comes in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We hear a little bit of the story of Moses, and here's how we're told that story. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He was literally being raised as a prince in the king's household. In the world's most powerful empire at the time, he had everything the world had to offer at his fingertips. And we are told he chose to associate with his people who were slaves in the land rather than to enjoy everything Egypt could give him. He makes the same decision. So we see this in this passage in all kinds of different ways. Gaining Christ is worth letting go of everything. And understand me, friends, the point this morning is not to, uh, on Monday morning, give your two weeks notice and leave your job and then give away all of your earthly goods. But it is to make sure that we know that gaining Christ will make up for the loss of any of those things. That's what Paul is telling us. And in his situation, in fact, Paul quit his pursuit, his job as a Pharisee, because it was contrary to following Jesus Christ. There are those things in our lives that we're just going to have to drop and let go of because they become contrary to following Jesus Christ. Paul puts it like this in this passage. He said, I had been seeking my own form of righteousness, but I had to stop that because Christ is my source of righteousness. He recognizes and teaches us here that our source of righteousness is Jesus Christ, not our position in life. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law is the language that Paul uses. What Paul was pursuing was a right relationship with God and in the eyes of his world through his own achievements. 
But he says, I can't do that anymore. My rightness before God is in Jesus Christ. So I have to let all this go, and I have to grab hold of Jesus Christ. How am I trying to be right in the eyes of the world? What peer pressures do I succumb to? What goods hold my heart, my time, my money? Gaining Christ is worth just letting all that go and let God take care of it from there. And then we see this as well in Paul's life. This passage is just sort of a snapshot of it. But Paul's sacrifice meant the growth of the church. This is the apostle Paul we're talking about. This is the man who is responsible for many of the epistles inside of the New Testament. He is responsible for encouraging and planting more churches than any other single individual that we know about in the life of the New Testament church. The church benefits because of everything that Paul just let go of. Letting go of false goods and false gods and false idols was an an act of obedience to Jesus Christ and it becomes an act of sacrificial love for the church of Jesus Christ. We benefit because of what he gave up. Here's part of how Paul describes how he looks back on his life. The last letter that he writes, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says like this, And I got to tell you, friends, there are days when this is exactly what a pastor feels like. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Everything that is in me has been poured out for you. There's almost nothing left. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, listen, gaining Christ is worth so much more than everything else that he let go of. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all of those who have loved his appearing. Biblical surrender means examining my priorities and learning that loving self-sacrifice can be good for others and for all of the rest of us. What has God asked you and me to do or to be in the lives of others around us so that they may know Jesus Christ? What am I willing to to open my hands of? What am I willing to hold loosely? What am I willing to just completely let go of in order to fulfill my God-given role in life? And Paul says so powerfully at the end of that passage that I may know him and the power of his resurrection <laughs> and that by and sharing it's becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul has a clear set of goals in now his devotion to Christ. This is all that he has surrendered. This is now his devotion and where he's headed. He is willing to give up anything and everything in order to know Jesus Christ in this dynamic and life-transforming way. He's even ready to suffer for his devotion to Jesus Christ. 
Remember, sacrifice is this act of love where I let go of what I hold to so tightly so that I may take hold of Jesus Christ. As we talk about, think about devotion, turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we're going to start reading in verse 24, but it's in a larger conversation. Just before this conversation, Jesus told his disciples, he says, now guys, I want you guys to be ready for something. Uh, In a few days, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken by evil men. I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise again from the dead. The disciples hear all of that. They miss, I'm going to rise from the dead. They hear, I'm going to die on a cross. So Peter actually pulls Jesus aside and says, there's no way this is going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) It's going to happen. So he's talking about a cross, the cross, the actual little cross, literal cross that he will carry to the top of that hill before his death. And Jesus looks at those disciples, and he says this in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit if a a man, if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his eternal soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What Christ teaches here, we saw lived out in what Paul writes to the Philippians and what Paul writes to Timothy. What Christ is asking us to do here, friends, is not a matter of self-hatred or of self-destruction. This is the same thing. This is learning that Christ is worth more than everything else. And it is the willingness to turn my self-centeredness, which is so natural to my sinful heart, to turn that self-centeredness into Christ-centeredness. So Jesus tells us plainly, if not shockingly, devotion to Christ means taking up my cross. And this means, and this is part of what Christ is preparing the disciples for, because the next few days are not going to be easy for them. In fact, the rest of their walk with Jesus Christ in terms of how the world accepts them, what the world does with them, is not going to be easy for them. This means the world will not always be the most comfortable place for me if I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus Christ. Christ's cross was a literal cross. But am I willing to bear even the slightest bit of discomfort, pushback, or even shame for bearing the name of Jesus Christ? This devotion is taking hold of the Jesus Christ who goes to the cross and through the cross to the resurrection. Remember what the Apostle Paul said, I'm willing to do this 
I'm willing to let go of everything this world told me was magnificent. I'm willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. I'm willing to walk through whatever this cross means for me. I am even willing to die for the sake of this. Christ's cross is not the end of the story. He goes through his cross to the resurrection. Friends, that means when we take up a cross, we are on our way to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually ties my identity to his cross. Listen, we don't get to decide how to follow Jesus. We follow him wherever he leads. That's what this is. This is devotion to Jesus Christ. And friends, we know this. When the way of Jesus Christ is not popular, sacrifice, surrender, devotion becomes an act of courage on our behalf. I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. I believe two of the most important virtues for the Christian right now are courage and endurance. And sometimes this act of sacrifice requires courage on our behalf. As I was thinking through this passage of Scripture, a phrase from a hymn just kept going through my head. The hymn is, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. The first verse says this, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The last verse says this, Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You see, for the Christian, paying attention to the cross means I'm ready to go there. Does that make sense? When I behold the sacrifice of Christ, what love sent him to the cross and to the tomb and through his resurrection, it demands my soul, my life, my all. You will give your soul to something. You will give your soul to something. Is that something worth it? Is that something even capable of handling the weight and the profundity of your eternal soul. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can bear that weight. So Jesus tells us that devotion to Christ actually means gaining my soul. <laughs> whatever I may give up, whatever I am prepared to give up will be more than matched in what Christ gives. So remember, sacrifice is an act of priority, knowing that something else is of so much greater value than whatever the group of Pharisees I belong to can give to me. We're actually being told here in this passage that we can't treat ourselves the way that only Christ should be treated. So I let go of my soul, I give up my life for the sake of Christ because he is the one worthy of that. And what I gain in exchange is the life that only Christ can possibly give. Will I miss what God gives 
because of what I think is too hard to do? Will I miss what God gives because of what I think is too hard to do? Jesus promises this incredible exchange. All of the stuff that I bring to the table for all of the stuff He brings to the table. See, everything I bring to the table is brokenness, and it is sin, it is short-sighted, it is selfish, it is hurt. What He brings to the table is life, grace, forgiveness, love, transformation. This is the exchange that Christ promises us. All of my brokenness and sin for His righteousness and life. What Christ gives when we pay attention to it is overwhelming and it is of ultimate value. When we are deceived, we get that backwards. We believe that what we have in our hands is worth more than Christ. So Christ asks us to open our hands and let go so that we can take hold of what it is that He gives. And remember that sacrifice is possible because of the promise of Jesus Christ, because of what He offers if we devote ourselves to Him. It really is a process. It really is a lifelong and developing journey, figuring out how this works, what it is I have to give up, uncovering inside of my soul those places where I did not know I was clinging too tightly, but discover that I have been and I need to let go so that I can have more of Christ and less of me. What I should have given up when I was a teenager is different than what I need to learn to sacrifice in my adult years. I don't do it perfectly. I continue to learn where I have held on wrong things, the wrong expectations of myself and others, and put my hope in the wrong people and in the wrong places for all the wrong reasons. But overall, am I committed to this act of priority, to loving self-sacrifice for the sake of obedience to Jesus Christ and who He is, letting go so that I can take hold of Jesus. I want to finish simply by reading the next thing Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 3. So go back there, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting, constantly forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's forget what was behind and let's press on for the call, the high call that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.